You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We're, we've got another episode of Community Pulse. My name is Jason Hand. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason Hand. And it's just me this week. I don't have my, my friends Mary or PJ. They're unable to join us. But we've got some really awesome guests uh, with us. I'm going to go around the room and let each of them sort of introduce, themsel- introduce themselves, starting with uh, Tessa. Tell us, Tessa, why don't you tell us about yourself? Hello, I'm Tessa Merrow, and I'm a developer advocate at Cisco. And it's specifically Cisco DevNet, and DevNet is our developer program. We have probably like 80 different APIs and tons of resources on developer.cisco.com. So I'm kind of a, a representative for the app developer side of things and go to a lot of conferences and, and present at a lot of events. That's basically what I mainly do. And I have a background in education and also presenting at events and evangelizing for open source. I also contributed to an open source project for about five years. And I am an avid meetup and conference organizer. This is probably why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can follow me. You can follow me on Twitter at Tessa Merrill, first and last name, T-E-S-S-A-M-E-R-O. All right, Tessa. Justin, tell us about yourself. All right. Hi, everybody. I am Justin Reese. Uh, I run an organization called Code and Supply. And what we do is we organize conferences. We um, put on Abstractions, which is a large international conference um, that is cross-discipline. We do Artifacts, which focuses on mental health and communication, Uptime, which is DevOps. And I've been doing conference organizing for um, probably Six years or so now, and um, uh, we get we get a you know we've we've dealt with all kinds of code of conduct issues in terms of creating the best possible atmosphere, and um, you know there's a lot to say about it. Um, Don't follow me on Twitter because Twitter is an awful place, and I have abandoned it. Um, I go by Justin X Reese on everything. Um, but I'm private there. Uh, the best place to learn more about what I do is to follow code and supply. Um, if you spell it code and supply, you will find it. Yeah. Awesome. And I can, I can definitely plus one on, on the events that uh, Justin's a part of. I was able to speak at uptime, which was awesome in its first year. Um, so, and I've heard really great things about abstractions. So uh, awesome work over there. And then Karina, tell us about yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Karina Zona, and um, I'm CC Zona just about everywhere. Like Tessa, I'm a dev advocate. I've been previously an advocate for Rackspace, um, an open source project they had called Zero VM, and for Ruby Together. Right now, I'm an indie. Um, my background in COC, codes of conduct, forget COCs, hard, harder to say. Uh, editor, take that out. <laughs> um, my background in code of conduct actually... Um, probably started around 2012 when I got involved in organizing various large meetups and particularly for women. So part of that always ends up being how do you very gracefully enforce a a gender constraint? Um, So that got really interesting. And then when Ash Dryden uh, introduced the code of conduct pledge and asked conferences and participants to pledge not to essentially contribute in any way to 
conferences without a code of conduct, I started a Twitter account called COC Pledge that was essentially um, echoing people who made that pledge and people who were giving reasons for it. So it could be easier to really see why this matters to individuals, not just as an industry. Awesome. And founder of Callback Women, right? Thank you for reminding me that. Yes, that's true too. So (laughs) Callback Women's mission is to radically increase gender diversity at the podium of professional tech conferences. Uh, So not academic conferences, not enterprise conferences or founders conferences, specifically for people who are in the practice of programming. And that I've been doing since February 2013. Uh, and has had a lot of success, and it's really exciting to see the transformation that not only it has created, but that a number of projects, including Callback Women, have created. Awesome. Yeah, and um, as Tessa had sort of alluded to, the reason why we've chosen and the three of you to reach out to and, and be part of the show is that you're all involved in lots of different communities, lots of different events, um, people that come from different backgrounds and, and all kinds of things. And so um, as both Justin and Karina um, sort of also touched on, this episode is about the code of conduct. Um, and one of the reasons why we sort of chose to do this episode now um, was um, essentially because it, it came up in a recent conversation I had had with uh, a conference about coming out and participating in their event. Uh, I was uh, asked to come, come speak and uh, I, you know, enjoy coming and being a part of new com- conferences all the time, meeting new people. But recently I joined uh, Microsoft and we've got a hard rule of not participating in events that um, don't have a published code of conduct, which, um, you know, I don't think anybody would, would uh, argue against. But it does put us in a situation where we have to have some conversations every once in a while um, with organizers who haven't gotten um, for whatever reason, haven't gotten a code of conduct put together. So we thought we'd uh, bring in some people who probably had some strong opinions on code of conducts and uh, let's let the conversation go from there. So why don't we just start to open this up? Let's pretend that uh, some people don't have any clue what a code of conduct is. Uh, who, who of the three of you would like to give us sort of in your, in your own words, what is a code of conduct? Sure. I, I can go first um, before Karina elaborates in depth. <laughs> So I think it's just basically just values and and what are the expected behaviors of the community so that way people come to your meetup or your conference or your event and they just know how they should act or how others should act so they know not everyone knows from right from wrong. There's always that one bad apple of a bunch that I've experienced several times before and it happens. So it, it's just a, a good feeling for someone to just know that something will be done if, if there's a code of conduct. Yeah. Anybody got any other additional uh, bullet points to that? Tessa addressed it really well, in my opinion. Um, I think codes of conduct sometimes get viewed as, as a legal contract. And I see them more as a contract with the community and with the organizers of whatever you're at. Um, And that is not necessarily legal and it's not necessarily about criminal activity. It's about setting a standard and an expectation and saying we're going to hold you accountable for behaving in the way that this community has laid out and we have mutually agreed to. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Justin, what do you got? Um, Yeah, actually, we kind of do treat ours more towards the contractual side of things. And recently we've made the change to um, 
have the code of conduct, have that be the strongly defined um, set of things that is explicitly forbidden um, and have a separate document that represents kind of the values that, that we want to um, stolen people. And we want like, here's what we want out of you to be someone that is a part of the community. And here's, and the code of conduct is here's what we won't allow in this community. Um, so we've kind of separated those out into, um, we use the code of conduct as a, as a tool to make sure that people understand what is not accepted and the consequences of acting in that way. Um, not everyone can be liked and nice in a community. So that's kind of why we separated them. Like if, if you want to be someone that's, you know, big part of a community, here's, here's the separate document. And to add to that, uh, when I create a new code of conduct for a community, I make it open for them to make commits or changes to or add to or remove to. And, and I make it open for them to let me know if, if there's something on there that you disagree with. I am, I'm open to hearing what anyone's thoughts or opinions are. That way it's more accepted to the community that, that it's there. Yeah, I really like that idea. <laughs> I was pretty excited about an hour ago before I started on this podcast. I saw someone uh, explicitly mention that they forked ours um, right before this. So um, timing was great. I've, I haven't got a chance to see what they changed or anything, but I'm glad that we could be the basis for another organization. Yeah, you know, that kind of brings up an interesting point. Um, first of all, when we're talking about code of conducts, they exist for, um, you know, we're, we're, I guess, explicitly talking about events. You know, that's the, at least that's how this sort of came up is that um, a lot of us just, you know, know that, that we're not either allowed to speak at or we just don't feel right speaking at one that doesn't have one. We're kind of, you know, thought of as uh, people who should be influencing others, you know, for the better. And so if we can bring this message of a, what a code, a code of conduct is and how it benefits the community, I think that's sort of more of our mission. Um, but it's not just events. It's also projects, you know, open source projects. It's also all kinds of things where, you know, people kind of come together. So it's really a community thing. It's not necessarily an event thing, right? Um, but with that said, like, how, you know, people are forking Justin's code of conduct. Um, Tessa, you said, you know, when you're building a code of conduct, to me, that insinuates that they change and they, there's different kinds for different situations. So when you're building a code of conduct, what, uh, first of all, when do you start thinking about that? And then, and how do you know what's going to go into it? Sure. Well, that open up to anybody. Tessa, right. go for it. This, this started on our, on my very first conference I ran in, 2015, 16, 17, I think it's, two, yeah, 2015, I was a, a co-organizer and a friend of mine that we've been running a meetup for a while. We decided to create a conference together and we had to create a code of conduct, of course. What we did was looked at a lot of different open source and freely available, forkable code of conducts and kind of combined many different ones together. I'd give most credit to him, uh, Jeremy Lindblom from the PHP community. Uh, he really helped gather all of the resources. So we put a lot of information together and then figured out what would make sense and what works for our community and then slowly tweaked it over time. Our, um, we started with um, the Geek Feminism 
as our as our base for a while. Um, but when it came to abstractions, we were a much larger conference. We um, it wasn't um, robust enough. It wasn't explicit enough, especially when it comes to an international audience. Kind of one of the things that I value about a code of, code, a code of conduct is that um, these are really temporary roles for people. So um, something that might be acceptable in someone else's country, if they're coming into your community for a conference, um, that might not be acceptable at your conference. So this is their temporary set of rules and you have to explain things very thoroughly and say, that, no, that's not okay. Even, even if it is okay where you come from, this is the community you're part of right now for this three days. Um, so we had to really start fresh with that. And um, what I did was um, I went looking outside of uh, software um, conferences. I, I think that there's a lot that software conferences could do better. And I don't think that, um, you know, they're, it's, it's not a very mature um, uh Society? I don't know the word. It's not a very mature thing. Like it's only been happening for you know so many years, but there's things that have been happening for a long time. So we've looked. I looked at movie theaters and sporting events and festivals. They all have codes of conduct, and um, we're just kind of catching up. So uh, I went to the basically the veterans of having these things, and um, let me see. We used yeah the the AMC theaters had a good code of conduct that we pulled from, and. Um, uh, so the just sports like, arenas. So, what are you seeing in terms of overlap from some of those um, out? You know, those other codes of conduct. Uh, the AMC one, for example. I mean, it's all about kind of just not. It's it's basically about keeping to yourself. Don't invade other people's experience with your um, crassness in some way. Um, don't be rude. Don't be vulgar. And um, that's kind of the starting point. Yeah. Um, don't ruin other people's good time. Let's talk about what happens if they do, you know, cause uh, I think a code of conduct does have to have some sort of explicit, here's what's going to happen if you break our temporary rules, as you put it. So, um, uh, Karina, what, you know, in terms of, of a code of conduct, what, what is an absolute, like, this is, this is what's going to happen if you break the rules. Yeah, I, I agree that there has to be explicit, expression of what the consequences are otherwise it's a philosophical statement it's we would like you to this is what we believe are good values it's not until you get down to if you don't comply with those values and expectations and stated behaviors then something will happen and you should expect that at least at minimum it will be this uh, so for instance a lot especially the the one that um, justin was referring to geek feminisms says that uh, consequences could go as far as being immediately expelled without having any refund of your ticket um, for something else entirely, you know, potentially, and I'm not saying necessarily at conferences, but sometimes in consequences, you will be banned from that community in the future altogether. Um, you know, it's, I think it's really up to the community itself that's writing these to determine what is a suitable and it's not necessarily a punishment, but a consequence that fulfills what the code of conduct is meant to do, which is provide a safe space to be productive in whatever the mission was of that event. So, you know, in the case of a tech conference, it's, it's about making sure 
that people are able to get out of it what they came to get out of it, what they paid for, what they're excited about, what their employer sent them to do. And if someone's being disruptive to that, then it's not necessarily a punishment to say, you need to leave and not come back. Um, so I think, I think it's important to decide what do you mean by your code of conduct, what is its mission underlying it, and what are you willing to do and say in advance as a commitment to what you will do if someone doesn't live up to that. Yeah, I mean, has anybody got any, any stories of, of situations where they've had to, um, you know, sort of address that? Someone did not comply to the code of conduct and you had to, you had to take action? Anybody? Yes. Yeah? I've had to take action with two different individuals in two different communities, but these were meetups and not conferences. But each meetup grew into a conference, so it was kind of the same set of people or community. Uh, but this... The last individual I had to deal with was harassing and following someone and would not leave this person alone to the point where this person was reporting this, uh, the harasser's behavior. And I let him know that this is stalking, this is harassing. He asked you to leave him alone and you're still continuing. And I gave a couple warnings and the couple warnings didn't work out and I had to set a ban. And one of the hardest things about being an organizer is when you ban someone, they don't just disappear forever. You will get backlash and they will find a way to get even with you. So I've had to deal with a lot. <laughs> I can, and that's another story in itself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I've learned is code of conducts mean nothing in a courtroom. A judge will laugh at it. Because this this person uh, went from stalking that person to stalking me because I banned him, and he says he told the judge, um, "Well, her code of conduct wasn't in place for the community um, when I said these things. Uh, it, she put up the code of conduct a week after I was uh, harassing him," and the judge laughed at him like, "The code of conduct means nothing legally." <laughs> And didn't even want to discuss those words. So it's it's more of an, an internal community contract and doesn't work anywhere outside of it. Yeah. It it sometimes can. I mean, for instance, if you can tie that to employers, that part of say purchasing yes. a sponsorship or a ticket is that you will be requiring your employees to abide by the code of conduct, then it's essentially being adopted by their, you know, HR compliance system and what they can offer as a consequence. Um, that's more of an ask, certainly, but there are pathways. Yeah, yeah. and it gives, it gives you a, a, a ticket experience, like in a, in a case where someone, if they wanted to sue you, that's something they agreed to at the very beginning. Like, we have it in our code of conduct that, um, you know, sponsors are held to these rules too, and if they paid, you know, $10,000 and they get kicked out, they're going to be mad and they might try to sue, but they agreed to those rules at the forefront of the event. So when, when they, when they signed the agreements, so it's, you know, in in that sense, I think it's legally strong because they're not going to be able to do much because they agreed to it up front. I think both of you are signing it. I think both of you are hitting on an important point that timing means everything. I think a really good time to, at the latest, introduce the code of conduct to people and, and have them 
commit to it is when they're buying a ticket or when they're buying something else like a sponsorship, that this be essentially a contingency of participation and we're notifying you and we're expecting you to affirmatively sign on. This isn't a, hey, by the way, this is you are agreeing to abide by this and to accept the consequences of not abiding by it. Because a lot of times it does only come up, say, at opening remarks, and that's way too late. Yeah. Has anybody, has anybody heard of a situation where people just, um, they refuse to be part of an event because it has a code of conduct? Like they just don't, they just don't want to be involved with that? Yeah, I've, I've lost a very good speaker over that. Um, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, we had a speaker that wouldn't agree to speak on principle of not agreeing with codes of conduct being a thing. And that was a non-starter for us. So we just dropped the whole thing. Yeah. I've, I've had some really odd, uh, and I wanted to kind of go around the room on this one too. I've had some odd pushback on code of conducts to be quite honest. And a lot of it is because I think, well, first of all, um, I can understand the, uh, this just sort of like uncomfortable feeling that you, that people have once they realize that it's needed, you know, like we've, we're part of a team or part of a group, part of a project or part of a community that has grown to a point where we are big enough and we are diverse enough that we really do have to have this kind of thing in place just to protect our, all of us, right? Uh, collectively. I have a, a, a story with that. I yeah. have seen communities like uh, large communities create code of conduct and have votes on it. And they always get, they always get declined or voted no on and the reason being is they overthink this code of conduct and it ends up becoming like a 10 or 20 page document. And the longer the code of conduct is, the more uncomfortable people start feeling. Like yeah. we know we have to behave respectfully and, and treat others well. But when you make it 20 pages long, they start feeling like I can say anything wrong and get banned. And yeah, well, you start looking for you start looking for loopholes when there's that much stuff. You have to like thoroughly yeah. go through the whole thing just to understand what not to do. And then, you, then I think people start looking for things that they can do. And, I, and I've had people, goes, Oh, yeah. go ahead, Karina. It goes both ways. So if you have something really brief, people will see loopholes in that. So it, it's not really about length as the thing that gives people a way through. It's more about, how you express things and how firmly you're willing to express. Um, people will always look for loopholes and you have to be willing to say, if it was ambiguous, we're interpreting this in the most essentially conservative way possible, the way that most benefits the community, not you. Yeah. Uh, and that is unfortunate potentially for you, but that is the line that we're deciding to draw. Um, I think one of the things about words like, you know, respect and values is that we, generally have conferences that draw from a lot of co countries, a lot of different communities. Um, you know, when you talk about things like different religions, um, just so many ways in which people have different ideas of what those words mean for their experience. And so it's, it's important to define them beyond essentially a concept and give some sort of concreteness to it so that everyone's on the same page about what you mean by that word. So you could say like, you know, our, our value is be nice, you know, uh, but at some point you need to also define in there what we mean by being nice. That for instance, not accepting when someone sets a boundary is not nice or whatever it is you choose to set as your code of conduct, but be clear that these are the things that we do not consider 
in the context of this event, organization, or project as being the definition or, yeah, definition, how we're defining that. Um, yes, thank you. <laughs> Soapbox. And, and to add to Karina's words, to add to Karina's words, I would also uh, agree. Uh, every situation has to be really assessed and, and, and analyzed based on the person's religion, their culture, where they're coming from, and understanding what did they mean by what they said? What, did they have any kind of bad intentions? Uh, just understanding both, if there's two different parties involved, understanding both sides of the story and then making a decision with others, uh, other organizers on, on what kind of action to take. Yeah, and, um, and this, 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 sorry. This, this sorry, whole bit, go ahead. This whole bit, um, about people not wanting to agree to one of these. Um, that's kind of the whole reason I went to sports arenas and movie tickets to figure out codes of conduct because these are things that people are agreeing to all the time and they don't even really realize it. they are. So like when I put AMC theaters on the list of inspirations for um, our codes, code of conduct, people say, oh, okay, okay, maybe I'm already doing this type of thing anyway. So it's part of, part of that is their inspiration, but also part of its psychology into just saying this is normal and you should just expect this everywhere. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. And, um, you know, a little anecdote that I can share is the very first year that we did DevOps Days Rockies, and we're now in our fifth year, um, we had had a code of conduct from the very beginning, mostly because we could just fork it from the other other DevOps, day, DevOps Days um, events that had been going on for you know the past six seven years, so we already had one in place. Um, but you know that first year of DevOps Days um, Rockies, although it was there, um, I think maybe we didn't do a real great great job of of socializing it and publicizing it and making it like this is super important. You need to make sure you you've read this and understand this before you decide if you want to take part in this event. And so like the first year I felt like, you know, when I was on stage, I, I had a slide for the code of conduct, just sort of pointing mostly to a link, like, please go read this. And most, I think most my comment was literally like, you know, just be, be great, you know, like stewards of this event and be good to each other. You know, we're all here trying to learn. We're all trying to, um, you know, do learn interesting things, do awesome things. So um, just be good to get good to each other. And I got some feedback that, you know, that wasn't really um, enough that, you know, you should have said more about the code of conduct. And I think it, I was in this situation where I felt like, ah, it makes me uncomfortable to dive too much into it because one, it insinuates um, that this is a problem and we got to address this right now. Like we've had some sort of recent issue and so we have to have a code of conduct in place and it has to have these like very, you know, like specific things. And um, I, I wasn't sure if our community or maybe me was really ready to like graduate into that level of significance where we have to have something in place that says, you know, why, why, uh, or what are we going to do if somebody just, you know, isn't quite um, being, being nice to each other, you know, like, uh, like we said. So there was that sort of uh, growing pains, I think, is a lot of, uh, a lot of events realize that it is important, but now they've realized that sort of their baby has grown up and they have to sort of accept that this isn't just a, a thing we're doing on, on the side for fun. Like we're involving a lot of other people and they come from lots of different places and, and languages and um, intent and tone is hard to understand sometimes. And, you know, even if somebody really says or does something and, ha and is completely ob oblivious to the fact that they've, they've hurt somebody somehow, 
that still has to be addressed um, because we are, I think, at the top, like educators and, and, and trying to just, you know, do good for the world. So we want to point out people when they're not um, being good to others, not necessarily throw them out of the party, but make sure that they understand that we're not okay with that and what they can do to sort of correct the ship on that. It's hard to know where that line is um, with like the intro to a conference. Uh, I don't think I've seen anyone do it in a way that I feel like, oh, that's the right answer. Um, Because either you're going to say too little, you're going to say too much where it feels like there's something is, is wrong and people shouldn't feel safe. Um, And that counteracts the whole reason that we put them in place. So it is, I don't, you know, I think that you were, you're like a lot of people where you don't know, how far to take that. And I've gotten the same thing where um, recently we introduced a new incident response team as part of our process. Um, and most of that was just me seeing another organization and how they handled it. And I, nothing happened. I just saw another organization doing something better and decided to try to mimic it. So the, the peak period in which we were really dealing with this idea of introducing conference organizers to codes of conduct and saying this is really important and getting a lot of pushback was between like 2012 and 15 with it really peaking around 2014. And I, I had to argue a lot with conference organizers and, you know, being argumentative isn't necessarily the best way, but there was a lot of worry on the part of organizers. And that was one of the ones commonly expressed is this just looks like we've already had something horrible happen. You know, we're, you're, you're asking us to, to ruin our own reputation in some way. And what I really want to point out in that is if you don't, if you're saying you have to wait until it's already happening, you're saying you're willing to throw someone under the bus. It shouldn't happen mm-hmm. once before you set a, you know, ground rules. Yeah. So as hard as it is and uncomfortable as it is, and the fact that some people will perceive it, you know, negatively, you know, there, there's this bad. feeling of not in my, not in my house, right? Nobody in my community would misbehave, yeah. but we don't need something like that. And if they do, I would know about it before it's a problem. I think one, the, the idea that a lot of people get in their head. One, one thing that's really evolved in this community, like I was saying earlier, it's, you know, it's young and this is a new idea to this community. I think it was definitely a little too, too harsh at the beginning where it was like, these are anti-harassment policies, and which the language there is just really strong. Like, it, like it just builds this assumption that there's harassment happening. Whereas now ours is called a it, the commonly accepted one is code of conduct, and ours is called a conduct policy. I think that's a lot better because it's it's like here's the standard for conduct, not here is harassment that's going to happen, and here's like you don't do it. So I think that we've grown in a way that it's because I I was, you know, in that camp where it seemed like a really um, strong push for something that was scary. And um, I think that as we all matured together, it got to be at least to the point where it should be easy for new people to accept it. Yeah. I I think it's important for, people who are considering these policies to remember that there's a big difference between it's never happened. We've never had anything bad happened and we don't know. No one's come to us and told us about something bad that's happened. 
So it's really easy to make the assumption that those are the same thing. No one told me, so nothing has happened. Uh, and a lot of things essentially fly under the radar. You don't feel like you need to report it because it was someone, for instance, being disrespectful. And, you know, we all know how hard conference organizers are working on this day. I think most of us want to respect that time and not come and things that may feel trivial, but things have happened and things that were not okay. And being willing to open to the idea that you didn't hear them all, I think is a really good first step for being able to evaluate what you want to do with a code of conduct is, is know that you're, you're not privy to everything that's happened. And for yeah. good reason, you got plenty of other stuff to do. Yeah, exactly. That's a really great point, actually. You know, I think Oh, go ahead, Tessa. I think before anyone runs or organizes a community, they need to know what they're going to do before any situation occurs. So it doesn't, so they're not a deer in, in headlights and they don't know what to do. And then they take too long to deal with a situation. And if you take too long to deal with a situation, the opposite, situ, the opposite can occur. And the, the biggest thing that you don't want to happen after like some kind of violation happens is, the person that got violated or harassed ends up posting on social media, doxing that person, destroying their reputation, and, and then the whole violation goes both ways. And then you don't know like who really is in the wrong when they've both equally destroyed each other. Yeah. I, and so that's I one, one thing to keep in mind. And I've seen this before, which is why I'm saying it. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I think I really like uh, what Justin was kind of um, talking about the incident response thing I hadn't thought of. Um, but um, that's actually, to me, I, I like it because it, it, it sets up a framework of what are you going to do if and when something happens? You know, we've gotten to this point where it's just like, a, you know, uh, people practicing fire drills. Like you just have to sort of know what are you going to do when the house is on fire? And we hope it doesn't happen. We're going to plan to make sure it doesn't happen. But in the event that it does, here's what we're going to do. And whether it's putting together a response team, like what Justin was talking about, or just having some sort of clear defined, like, here's what, here's what's going to happen if, you know, um, something doesn't go the way we've sort of outlined it needs to. Um, and we've only got just a few more minutes left uh, in, in this recording here. So, and I, this is a topic I think we could probably talk on for several hours. I have a, I have a, I have a response to the response team. Yeah, yeah. The response team within the community I've seen that fail miserably because the response team wasn't friends with someone who was reporting the behavior and was friends with the person who harassed that person. Mm. And it ended up being a biased decision, which ended up poorly. So our community agreed that we should have picked, created a response team that's outside of the community, like one person from different communities. And that would have been more fair on that situation. Yeah. I mean, so just a thought to group. Yeah, for us, we made sure to have many people in case that it's, it's I think, eight people and it's self-governing. Um, the big conflict of interest is, you know, that I'm running an organization and I don't want to, I'm not going to be able to fairly judge uh, incident reports because I have a stake in the organization's success. So if I created a different team and as long as it's big enough, hopefully we can run into situations where, you know, that team balances out and, there's at least someone on that team to contact that won't be a friend of that person. Yes. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Go ahead. I, I think potentially a way to do that is literally to hire someone whose role is something like, say, mediation. And there can be real advantages of that because one of the conflict of interest is that typically 
our conferences are run by people who are volunteers, who are passionate about things that they're involved with and are involved in the community and want the community to be just as passionate as they are and are willing to put a tremendous amount of work into that. But the side effect of that is that a huge number of the participants are people who are already sharing community, already sharing relationships, already working with each other. Some have supervisory power of each other, including potentially the organizers. And so there are power dynamics going on that are, are a real problem for the organizers and for people reporting as well. And so it becomes very difficult to be the enforcer, whoever it is, if you're involved in that community, because you realistically do have to think about things of, you know, what happens when I go back to work tomorrow? Or how does this affect my reputation or ability to organize a conference next year on this topic? Whatever it is, you know, it, a little bit, it's a great way to pass the buck. If it's somebody who's completely neutral and outside the community, it's a way to say like, look, you know, we gave them a set of rules, they're professional, and this is, this is out of our hands. This is the person who we, you know, we knew was an expert and we want them to do it. And a few companies have, not companies, sorry, conferences have done that. I think it's, it's an approach worth exploring, whether it's the one right way or not, I think is always a big question mark and not really useful, but it's certainly one way that has been successful for the handful that have done that approach. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, I think looking at the clock here, we should probably probably move into our next section, our final section of the, of the recording here uh, of our show, uh, the checkouts. So for those of you who are not familiar with our show format, uh, at the end, we always go around the room and just sort of share um, at least one thing uh, with each other. And of course, everybody listening, um, something that you just sort of think is, uh, you know, worth sharing out to the rest of the, the rest of the world, I guess. It doesn't have to necessarily be about code of conduct. doesn't have to be about uh, developer advocacy or anything you're doing. Uh, just anything you'd like to share. So uh, do we have any volunteers on uh, sure. in the room? Tessa, you want to go first? My, just a check out. My life kind of revolves around work and events. So I'm going to share event related stuff. I am, I ran my first, I created an API community a year ago and had my first conference two weeks ago and it ended up uh, being very successful and I pushed for about a 50% uh, female and, and non-binary attendees, which was um, a lot of work on, on connecting with different uh, women in tech organizations over a long period of time and, and partnering with them and having a lot of neat events that would uh, be beneficial. And then I also ran an event this week, a DevOps event, a live viewing party for all day DevOps. And I also ran an API meetup last week. So do a lot of organizing. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. So do you have a, a URL or anything that you want to share out to anybody that they can um, learn about some of those things? Uh, and if API not, we can always share conference. stuff in the show notes too. Yeah. The API conference is apicity.io. Okay. There's a big one in the middle of the page because the timer, the countdown ran out and I don't feel like going in and updating anything for a very long time. I don't want to look at the website for a very long time. Sure. Yeah. Burnout, <laughs> burnout is real. Going back to that whole yeah. volunteerism yeah, thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, who, who's next? Who's, who's, got, who's got some more checkouts? Karina, you got anything? Um, so I have celiac disease, which means uh, gluten is basically poison for me. And cooking, I love to, to bake and cook, and it's really hard to make good gluten-free bread. In fact, until this wonderful book right here, I would say it was impossible. 
And this book is the bestest thing ever if you want to cook gluten-free for yourself or for a friend, including things like bread, which are the hardest of all. I'm totally a pitchmeister for this book. Get this. It's America Test Kitchens, the How Can It Be Gluten-Free Cookbook, and they've actually figured out how to make it work. So God bless them. I get to have good food now. Awesome. All of our, gluten, our gluten-free um, people will be very happy about that. Thank you. Justin, what do you got? Um, I'll do the... Um thing I should do and plug the conference, the next conference that I'm working on first. Um, I'll do something fun after. Um, abstractions.io, we need, we're going to need sponsors and we're going to need a big community push to make this a great thing and reach new people. Um, so make sure you check that out. Uh, when does this episode come out? Um, uh, probably, probably about a week or so. Before election day, um, check out your yeah. polling location. That's an important one um, because voting is coming up. And um, yeah, that's the, I, I, think, I think I'll just go with uh, abstractions and voting. Okay. And we'll make sure we add um, the URLs to all of these uh, checkouts into our show notes. Um, as far as what I've got to share, I thought, um, I, think, I think it was Karina had mentioned the Ash Dryden uh, Code of Conduct. Um, there's a blog post that, that's out there called just, I think codes of conduct 101 uh, or 101 FAQ or something like that. It's pretty good um, sort of high level, but actually fairly detailed um, description of a lot of the things that we've been talking about. And, and then there's also the, um, the geek feminism code of conduct that uh, Justin had, had mentioned, which I feel like is kind of the starting point for a lot of people. Um, and maybe even one of the early quote code of conducts out there um, that kind of, uh, I guess, reflect the modern day code of conduct. And then um, the other thing, too, is that we talked about how Code of Conducts, uh, the context of this episode anyway, was particularly around events, but obviously there's Code of Conducts for open source projects and all kinds of, you know, hackathons and stuff like that. Um, and I thought GitHub has a really sort of good uh, description of their, their idea of Code of Conducts, especially around projects. Um, and if you go to opensource.guide uh, slash code of conduct with uh, dashes in between. And we'll put these in the show notes too. Um, you can go to uh, their site that sort of outlines what their uh, ideas are around code of conduct for projects, GitHub projects. Um, and then also I thought um, since sort of this whole thing came up because uh, I was trying to get into a conference that didn't have a code of conduct. And so I had so a lot of internal discussion at Microsoft of what do we do when you know, there's, there's an event you really like to be a part of, but it, they just don't have this there yet. And so um, I've been sort of shared a lot of the internal information about what our own co- code of conduct is. And I thought I would read off the three, what we believe the three goals of our code of conduct are, because I think they, they do a really good job of outlining the point of why these things exist and why they're important. So I thought I'd, uh, if for no other reason, give other people who are maybe looking to build their own code of conduct or have something to sort of start with, uh, that we could start with what we feel like are the goals of these. So the first goal is uh, that a code of conduct is to specify a baseline standard of behavior so that people with different social values and communication styles can communicate effectively, productively, and respectfully. So that's the first goal of our code of conduct. The second one is that this provides a mechanism for resolving conflicts when they arise. And as we sort of discussed, we hope that they don't, but if they do, at least we know clearly what we're supposed to do about it. And then the third uh, goal of our code of conduct is to make sure our team is welcoming to people from different backgrounds. Diversity is critical to us. 
um, for us to be successful, many different perspectives and backgrounds are necessary. So of course we want to be inclusive and get all kinds of ideas from different angles and different types of people all, all around the world. And because of that, we're all complex, squishy animals and we need to sort of be able to, to work together um, in smarter ways. So anyway, I thought those were kind of useful and very succinct um, uh, explanations of, of why we do these code of conducts and, and what the point of those are. So I'll include those in the show notes too. Um, and that's pretty much it for me. So I think, uh, you know, we, I just realized we didn't really give a, a, an opportunity to say hi to our sponsors. So we'll take an opportunity now to, to say hi to our, th- our sponsors. They're new, new to us and they've been very generous to help us out and keep this, uh, keep this show going. Are you building cloud applications with Java, AI, machine learning, serverless, and containers? IBM Developer provides a large number of code patterns, sample applications, articles, tutorials, and videos to help you build faster. All code is available on GitHub. You can incorporate any code into existing applications or use it to start a new application. Simply go to developer.ibm.com to access IBM Developer resources and start building. Find us on Twitter at IBM Developer. Um, I'd like to say thank you to Karina and Tessa and Justin um, for joining us. And uh, Justin's got a nice little parting uh, gift for us here. <laughs> <laughs> Justin the Fighting Eagles, I think. is. is thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll get the show out uh, pretty soon. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll see you all on another, another episode of the Community Pulse uh, down the road. But until then, um, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.